0: Hey, uh, my name is Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here, and uh, I'm glad to be with you. I, uh, um, gotcha. I have a couple announcements for you before we get started. Uh, the first thing is this: if you are a female in here, um, so you hit play and then you know, the um, <laughs> you're right invited to the women's thing on. And I'll swing it. No. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday from 10 to 12, um, Caroline Van Syke is, is heading up here at Redemption on Arcadia, getting together and doing a Bible study. If that's something you're interested in, you can check your bulletin and, and see her, ask her any questions. The other thing is this, if you don't know, if you're new or just visiting here, um, we are heavily involved with dealing with the refugee Somalis around Arcadia in this neighborhood. Um, and so there's a couple ways that we really want to kind of tackle uh, some of the issues that they have. And so if you want to get involved with that, here, here's two suggestions. One, we, we need to help them tangibly, so there's some tangible needs that need to be met. Um, and then the second thing is that we want to kind of come alongside of them. Um, so there's, there's things that moms need, right? And at the same time, you know, moms need diapers, but also kind of need friends to just be in relationship with. And so um, if that's something that you're interested in, in any way, like tangibly I can't give, but I can just give an hour a week, um, I would contact Bud Busby. Again, the, the, the information is in the uh, the bulletin. So those are the two things for you. Very quickly, you can always grab that bulletin if, if you have any questions of what's going on. Here's where I want to start before we get into Romans 8. I know Lori read 29 and 30. Bro. And our verse today is strictly right. only for uh, verse 28. She read 29 and 30 because it's hard not to push into that. But we'll get that into a second. Let, let me just say something that I've been wanting to say for a while. Um, my church experience very early on, um, when I first got saved, was that as I saw the man of God, we walk into the church, and there was this promotion of, there's the, the, the pastor, there's the man of God, and there would be this reverence. And I, I think some of it, a healthy, rightfully so, right? I mean, there, there was some of it, but it would be promoted in such a way that, that we would seem like, as if this man, and, and, and maybe you've been in different church experiences, and this is just mine... Um, This man never sins Like he like walks across this pool He doesn't walk around it type of stuff And so for for, for me I I would see who this guy is And I would look at him like Okay this this guy And as I would get closer as I got involved in ministry This is just my personal experience But the closer I got in ministry The more I began to see that it was more of a Like a 40 yard fake out I would would see from a distance And as I would get closer Like this this guy's not as official as I thought he was now, that's not a, a notch. I don't want to continue to go down that lane because that seems to be negative, but here's what I want to say. When I came to, to Redemption Arcadia specifically, as I stood back, I brought that baggage to the table, okay? And when I brought that baggage to the table, essentially what I did was is I, w- I, w- I looked at um, the leaders uh, of redemption. I thought, yeah, I, they may look like They're, they're kind of cool, um, you know, some of them, but, but uh, you're kind of looking at a distance and you're thinking they're probably not all that. And, and personally, this is me speaking personally again, um, the closer I got, um, everything that I thought to be so in the other arena seemed to finding itself to, to be true. And, and what I mean by that is, there was this like stoic before pastor, oh he's not. And then now I looked at like this guy doesn't really look all that great. And the more time I spent with these guys, um, man, they were official. Like there was a legitness, if that's a word, to, to who they were. Um, and, and very specifically, I want to say this because. Um, you know, you'll hear me maybe once a month come up here um, and I'll throw a little, you know, something at, uh, at Frank, you know, I am hilarious, um, throw something at Frank, Frank come up here and, 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 you know, people have asked, like, what's going on between you guys? And I want to I say this um, as bluntly as I can, and the reason I want to take a couple minutes because I've been thinking about um, very, very much so this Sunday to say this. Um, listen, okay, here's the deal. There are insane amounts of things that go on in the leadership team, and let me speak specifically about Frank you have no idea about. I'm not a crier, so I'm not going to cry, okay? Um, but, but here's the deal. Did someone just tell me to cry? Is that happy? I think it was cry, okay? um, he, he, Here's the deal. Um, the closer I get to know Frank Switzer and Jackie Switzer, listen, man, you can say that they're older than you, you can say whatever you want, The people are legit, man. Like, 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 check this out. This, this is, this is one thing you will never know. You know, a month ago, Candace and I's power was turned off because we didn't have enough money. You know, who, who, who turned that power on? It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the benevolence fund. You know, who drove us to the gas station to get gas? You know, turned that electricity. It was Frank. You know, did that like, and it wasn't. I didn't ask him. He stepped up. and that's one thing. So, so he can get up here, and and maybe it feels like it's robotic for him to dedicate babies, but it's real, man. And so, so let me just put this in front of you because I don't want to create this like. Frank is perfect, because he's not, okay? Um, but the truth is, some of us bring to the table in our church church history this, like, I'm, I'm kind of skittish about what, what the pastor the leader is. And I'm saying across the board, hear me, our elders are official, man. Sean Morton said he cares deeply about what happens to your souls. Jack DiBartolo is intricately involved in what happens with redemption because he cares. These men of God are leading us well, and I just want to put that in front of you. They would love if you filled up their email and asked for coffee like daily. They would love if you did that. Um, not really, so probably. <laughs> so I, I, I want to say that I know that has nothing to do with the thing. Frank, is that everything you wanted me to say about you? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> is <that it>? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so here's the deal. Uh, Romans eight twenty-eight. Right. Um, this is kind of the pinnacle of of. Uh, Romans, if if you haven't been here for a while, or, you know, the last 10 years, um, we've been in Romans, and so we've been going through this, and we're coming from a different place, right? Uh, We just came out of a section on suffering, Um, we're going into, uh, like, election and predestination, which all Christians agree on, Um, and so right in the middle is this kind of pithy little verse that begins to unpack um, some certain things, and I think it's really important that that we talk about it, but here's what I want to say about this verse. Um, This morning, my job is not to present an apologetic about good versus evil, um, and all these things. Now listen, I became a pastor, and, and I would say most pastors became pastors because they enjoy those conversations, and I think the Bible kind of guides us through some of those waters, but this verse specifically isn't um, isn't pushing us in that direction, so when you hear all things work for the good, our immediate Well, what about this, what about this, we'll talk about that, but I just want to put this in front of you, um, the goal this morning is to not to apply, we're going to spend insane amounts of time, not because I don't want to have those conversations about apologetics, just the verse, that's not what this verse is about here, okay? Um, and, and I want to say this on this, because I don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, I know that there's a lot of like, okay, where did evil come from? Um, and, and to put kind of uh, your pride aside and arrogance aside, let me just kind of gently say this to you. Um, there are things in the Bible that God is intentionally silent. Okay, so there is a tension there, man. Like, Isaiah 45, 7 literally says, I create light and darkness. I create good or well-being and calamity. I, the Lord, create these things. That's a tension. Like, what do we do with that? And I'm not saying to, to not wrestle with it and think about it, but to have the arrogance to say, like, no, there's an answer to it. I would, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the mysterious things, man, they belong to God. And so I would, like, just as you begin to process through those things, just understand that his thoughts are not only not our thoughts, and his ways are not only not our ways, but his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. This is Isaiah 55. So for us to really understand all these things, I was just to put in front of like humility needs to be brought to the table, especially where we're going when we begin to talk about election and predestination. But with that, um, I, I want to do kind of what Frank did last week. If you are interested in that, there's a really good book by Chris Wright um, uh, called The God I Do Not Understand. Very good. Now I'm not a millionaire like Frank, so I can't buy it for you. Um, But but check it out. I worked this deal with Amazon. That if you go on there and give them your credit card numbers, they'll send you the book. Okay. So so you you work that out with them. But but it's a it's a really good book, and I think it helps navigate some of those waters. Okay. So um, Romans chapter eight. um, here, here's, what, here's what we're going to do and Like I said, it's coming from this place of suffering Frank talked a little bit about the will of God And, uh, and, and we're going to go into like, this, the P the, you know, word And, and we're going to get into all that In a couple weeks But for now, um, we, we're just going to sit on, on what this text is And I want to kind of hit the ground running And say this from the beginning um, This is a, a very appropriate promise okay? But it's not for everyone So when we first read the, the very beginning part of this text I need to be very, very honest with you And say this This is an awesome promise. That's essentially what it is. But it is not for everyone. Now, I'm not trying to create a chasm like us versus them, but this is for people who love God. Okay? Now, Now, Romans has been talking about people who love God, but this is the first time in the book of Romans where it literally says those who love God, not just the children of God. It talks about our affections and our love towards him, not just his affections and loves towards us. The first time the book of Romans brings this up, and so it's going to say very intentionally, Listen, what I'm about to tell you is for those people who love God. Okay, so if you're in here and then you're like trying to figure this Jesus thing out and you don't know and you're just kind of going to church, here, I don't want anyone to walk out of here with false hopes, I don't want that there's this misconception. This is for people who love God. I think the immediate question we ask is, Well, how do I know I, I love Him or how do I love Him? And and, and for us to kind of understand that, I just want to tell you what, what it's not because there's some American misperceptions we're, we're bringing to the table a little bit. First thing is this. Listen, um, loving God is, is not filling his needs, okay? So like for you to, to, to look at God and say, you need me to go to church or you need me to write, uh, read my Bible or I needed to be baptized as a baby, that's not loving God, okay? Loving God is not loving his gifts and this is very American of us. We can stand and say, God is so good. God bless America and he is good. But to love him just for those things is not loving God, okay? Loving God is not strictly based on a foundation of feeling. So listen, you'll have affections towards God. But if it's just this high and low, what he's done for me lately, and now I'm angry, that's not loving God. Now if you read John 14, he tells us, if we love God, we'll follow his commandments. We will do things. But the affections are drawing those things out. Like, he will make his home in us. We will have affections. We will have feelings. But it's not based on that. So for us, as we come to the table, just understand Listen. It's it's for those who love God. Okay. Now you're in um, uh, Romans chapter eight. I, I want to read something very quickly um, in Second Kings, Second um, Kings uh, chapter six. You don't have to go there. I just want to read this uh, small little story so we can understand because the next section is like it's on every coffee mug, it's on every Christian T-shirt, um, it's said at every funeral. If we can be straight for a second, it's it's on all these to t- say like. All things work to the good. All things work for the good. And it's said everywhere. This might be the most misunderstood verse in all the Bible. Um, so for us to understand, that there's some things that have to happen. And I want to read a story to you. In 2 Kings, you can stand in uh, Romans 8. Let me just read this uh, story to you. It's about a man named Elijah. And uh, he, he's sitting there, and he falls asleep one night with his servant. And his servant wakes up. And this is what takes place. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master... What shall we do? This is what Elijah said. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So, uh, Elijah wakes up one day. His servant goes out um, uh, prior to him, and he looks around, and they're surrounded by an army. Okay? Hey, Elijah, come out here real quick. We're going to die. And Elijah says, hey, don't worry about it, bro. Like, there's more people with us than there are with them. And he's like, hey, listen, I know we're in the Old Testament. Math hasn't really been invented yet, but... Um, there's two of us, and there's an army surrounding. And then what happens is awesome because then Elijah, in verse 17, then Elijah prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. So, so here's where I want you to just kind of just rip right from that, that uh, story. Here's this guy looking at what he sees, okay? He sees something, it's real. The reality around him that he's probably going to die is very real. But Elijah just simply prays that he would see things the way that God sees things. And the moment that happens, he sees that there's something else going on. Now, now, the reason that's important is because as we come to this text, we're going to read it. We're going to look at the realities around us. And I I need you to hear this as we read this section. Um, All of us bring things to the text, man. Like it's just, it's, it's the brokenness of the fall. Our, our knee-bent reaction is to bring things to the text. And we bring things, when we hear things like good, we bring it to the text and we say, oh, this is what good is. The American idea of what good is, okay? And I just want to lay that down for a second and say, listen, there are things that you cannot see, hear me, that God is doing, okay? So what you see around you may be true, but there is a truer reality. Okay, so Romans chapter 8, we're going to take the, the heart of this verse, which everyone knows um, that all things work together, together for good, um, and, and, and we're just going to go through that section, we're going to spend the majority of our time, I'm going to take two words at a time, I'm going to define them, and then let's just go at this piece, cool? Um, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, so here we go. Um, so so here, here's the first thing, we're going to work backwards, um, and here's where I want to start, I'm going keep the text, right? Um, so uh, those of you who know, about six weeks ago, Candace and I moved to the west side, and uh Okay. Um, so we, we move to the west side and uh, the backyard, you're kind of you know, we're, we're just renting for a year, so we're kinda of finding what things we can build and, and put up and grass in or whatever it is. And through the course of this week of us doing that, um, I, I you know Corbin's over here, I'm out have to saw something. Corbin wants to play with the salt I'm like Corbin, no, you can't play with the salt, trust me, buddy. Don't play with the salt. You're you're gonna be fine. Okay, now, I'm over here drilling something, he wants to play with the drill, Corbin. Trust me, don't play with the salt. Um, and I realized so throughout the course of the week, um, that as we're kind of doing this, I'm telling him. A lot, him and Titus, a lot. My two, my two boys, six and four. Um, hey, trust me. Like this is for your good. And I, whatever, for whatever reason, um, a couple of Thursdays ago, I was just doing this, and I, re- I realized I have been telling them this their whole life, like over and over and over again. I had been saying, "Hey, anybody, trust me. Okay, just, just believe me. It's gonna be good. Like whether it be food, try this. It's gonna be good. Um, whether it be like walking across the street, trust me, we're fine." I remember very specifically, when Corbin was learning how to swim, we got, we, we were at a friend's house and he knew that it's the time, of, you know, if you've ever had kids, where to just duck them underwater real quick, they love it. Um, <laughs> so you <duck> them <laughs> and um, we're walking from the house to the pool, and Cor- I'm having a conversation with Corbin, and he's like, I don't want to get my head underwater, and he's already freaking out, you know, his heart's pounding, I'm like, Corbin, trust me, you're going to be fine, it's going to be good, buddy, it's going to be good, you're fine. We're walking to the pool, He's gets to the pool, he's like, okay, okay, he gets in the pool, and I was like, it's, he's like, I don't want to get my head wet. Corbin, you're gonna be fine, it's gonna be good. Okay, okay, We get in the pool, I go, okay, you ready? One, and he goes, no, 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 two, no, 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 three. And I dump him underwater, right? And I lift him up out of the water, and he's just screaming,
1: okay? And he says, um,
0: he says, I thought you said you were never gonna dump my head underwater. And I look at him, I say, Corbin, I never said that. Okay? The truth is, as we walked from the house to the pool, when I said, things are going to be okay, it's going to be good, he heard, well, well you're not going to duck my head underwater." water. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. I said, you're going to be fine. So his definition, his reality of what good was, was not what my reality of what good was. Okay, So in that moment, I see here's what good is, here's what you see as good, here's what I see as good, and it's not the same thing. So if we're going to just take these real quick words and define what good is, what all things are, what is working together, for us to really go through this verse, let me just say this. We're going to work in the confines of the reality of what God deems good. It's very, this is this is huge, right? Because in Russia, um, if you've been watching the Winter Olympics, there's this huge, you know, Putin um, promises that it's going to be the greatest Olympics ever. Yeah, yeah, he pours all this money into it. It's just huge failure because there's hotels half built, um, all these things about taking place. And um, James and Perry and I were talking about how uh, literally there are certain streets that the houses were just, still had bullet holes in them and just run down. So they would put these like house covers over these houses, like house and make it, and it kind of looked like a car cover. It looked kind of real to make it look like it was nice. Okay. And that, it's true. Nazi Germany did the same thing. These slums and ghettos, they would cover it up and, and make a facade. It, it looks good, right? Like when you look at it, you're looking good, but it's a lie. It's a lie. And the air we're breathing when it comes for us to define good, it's a lie, man. What we deem as good is not what God deems as good always. So, so for us, to come we have to remove that facade. Say, listen, let's look at the building the way it really is. And so if we're going to define good, here's what I'm going to say. We're defining it from the perspective of the dad in the pool and not the son. Okay? So how does the dad see what good is? So that's for good. Here's the next thing we have to define What does it mean to work together, okay? Literally, there's a textual variance in this. Like, it literally says, like, working together. It's in the present tense. So for us to understand what working together is, if we were to read it, uh, God, all things work together uh, for those who love him, called according to his purpose, for us to see that uh, these things are working together, um, I would immediately push in the direction of just playing sports, that's usually what you'll hear in a sports arena, or maybe at work. Like, for us to to understand, like, these things are cognitively kind of working together. Um, the best example I give is, is this word is actually only used five times in the New Testament um, And one of the times is in James Where it says faith is working together with works Like you can't have faith without having works So when we say working together These things are happening um, for, for an ultimate cause For an ultimate purpose, for an ultimate reason Together, like the cogs are flowing Okay, there's the other thing Here's the other word I want to define uh, for us is, is all things, okay i I really trying to think about how can we define all things So we have working together we have, How do we find? here's how I define all things all things, okay? Now, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's it. Like, so, so, so for us to understand what all things are, literally, it's one word, means each, every, all. Each thing, everything, all things. Now, it's kind of funny, but let's put that first section together. Let's go at this, okay? Um, if we hear all things work together or all things are working together, this is, a, this is our first pushback when we come to this text. Let's just say they're working together for selfish gain. It doesn't matter. At this point, the world we live in, when we say all things are working together, is that true? But, like, like do, do, do people really, like, all thi- everything is working together. Like, I've been with coworkers, we don't work together. Josh Craven, every day, okay? Um, all things are working together, um, all things are, are working together. Like uh, think of sports teams. Not all everything is not. working So for us to see this, this is this is a, like isn't the fall the very nature of the fall that, that all things are, you can eat food and you will get fat. It's not working together with your body. Like there are things happening that they're not working together. So for the Bible to say this, well, what does this mean? Um, the last I don't know four or five times I've been up here I've quoted Charles Spurgeon. So I want to do it again. He's a guy a couple hundred years ago, a pastor. This is what he says when he's talking about this idea. Something I read um, a while ago. He says this. Looking upon the world with the eye of sense and reason, we say, yes, all things work, but they are contrary to one another. There is an opposite current to everything. The wind blows to the north, and then it blows to the south. It is true, the world is always active and working, but it is with activity of a battlefield. Great statement. But, listen to what he says, be not deceived. It is not so. Things are not what they seem all things work together. There is no opposition in God's province. The raven wing of war is co-worker with the dove of peace. The tempest drives not with a peaceful calm. They are linked together and work together, although they seem to be in opposition. So what Spurgeon says there, is that we look at the world around us and sometimes the cogs don't go together, right? Um, and I love a statement, but things are not the way they seem. And it's really important that, that we understand this all these things working together, is we have to begin to talk about what I'm, what I'm basically saying is he is in control of everything. Now, now that's a that's a, a brash statement. For me, he's, he's in control of everything. Let me, let me read uh, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalms 115 actually says that God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. He is over all things, and he is working all these things everything. And our pushback is, no, wait a minute. Like I see this and it's not working together. And I would say like the servant of Elijah, like my son in the pool, we see it as it is, but we miss this undertone. Now I'm not even talking about the good portion of it. I just need you to understand that there's this being, because there's a textual variant that ultimately some of your translation says God is working all things together, right? Because the text is telling us God is doing something. He is working all these. So this to this is coming together. Everything, the way I move my hands, the way I move my feet, the way the dust falls, the way the sound comes out of the speakers, all these things are under his control. I am literally claiming he is in control of everything. And I don't mean to because the Bible just did. Now, this is a lot of work, right? Because wait a minute, he's in control of everything that sounds like fatalism. Ultimately, like I it's fate, like I have no control of what happens, and it's just gonna happen if it's gonna happen. I'm saying God is in control of everything, and if we're gonna dive into a few weeks. It's like what predestination is, an election, we're going to get into all that, but let me just say this um, uh, very honestly, because there is a tension there, right? Um, the famous story, you know, the, the best story I can do is explain this, how all things are working together, um, and he's in control of all of all this, is you have Joseph, who his brothers, this is a classic story, his brothers sell him into slavery, maybe you remember this story. So as his brothers sell him into slavery, he goes into slavery, eventually Joseph just, just toys around with his brother for a little bit, but eventually ends up having this conversation, and he talks with him, and he says, here's the deal. What you meant for evil, hear this, this is very important, God meant for good. Let me tell you what he didn't say. What you meant for evil, God turned to good. That is not what happened. He did not say, I know you meant this, but God turned it around. No. What he literally says is, there is one situation. You did this, but God did this. So you did X for Y, but God did X for Z. So at the same moment, we have this idea of man." absolutely choosing, but God's sovereignty over it all. So Jonah is sitting in a boat one time. The men pick him up and throw him overboard. Jonah is in the belly of the whale. And you know what Jonah says? God, you threw me overboard. Man absolutely having free will and choosing to do and making these choices, but God's sovereignty over all these things. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus is set to be crucified. Acts 2 um, 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. Hear this. Uh, 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 verse 23 again. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, uh, to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So here's God's sovereignty. You crucified and killed. God determining. God setting the path. He's working all things together. He is in control of all things. He is sovereign over all things. He is. Man. He is absolutely controlling everything. And here is man's choice. And so here's, here's, here's what I want to say about this. Um, this, is, this, is, this is not fatalism, that, that God chooses in spite of your choices, and this is not humanism. Your choices determine all things. It's much more nuanced, it's much more complex. And, and I would beware of arrogance when it comes to these things, to think that we know all these things because we read it and, and, and it's difficult. And again, Deuteronomy 29 29 the mysterious things belong to God. And we see these things going hand in hand. How it works, essentially, within salvation, and all that kind of deal with that, That's going to be a good time. Um, but, but more than anything, we can come to the text for now and say, God is working all these things out. He is sovereign over all things. He controls all things. He is in charge. For what purpose? And he literally tells us what that purpose is. Um, and this is what he says. All things uh, work together. We talked about that. For good. Good. Uh, work together for good he says, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so his claim is this. All things are working together, and they're working together for good. Okay. Again, hear me. Okay, when I say this, um, look what about the kid that was molested. Grab these pastors. She would grab her shins, and she would just kill them all. Just her nickname was Bloody Mary. Okay, um, so she's killing all these people. Uh, true story. She grabs this um, uh, pastor from the certain village. Uh, these guards do, they, and they're going to break him to London so that they can kill him. Well, on the way to kill him, uh, to, to kill him, on the way to London, the guards just start beating him up, beating him really bad. They end up breaking his leg. So now this dude has a broken leg, and he has to walk all the way to London. It's like thirty miles. So he's walking all the way to London, and he's hobbling there. They're going at like thirty. That they would normally get, okay, so as they arrive into London, um, they get there just in time to hear that, that Queen Mary is no longer queen, but Queen Elizabeth has taken the throne, and that Christians no longer will be executed, and, and, and the would-be martyr in that moment looks to the guards, and he says, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for my broken leg, you would have been here in time for me to find the news. but instead, all things work together for good, so it's just this really crazy story, and it's cute, right, aw, he lived, he didn't die, um, but, but that's not how it all works out. Like, like, not every story is like that. I think any of us can sit here and say, man, I lost my job, but it was totally the will of God because I found this better job. That's easy for us. That, for us to read that and go, that, that's an easy thing. But it's not always that case, right? It's, it doesn't always – so so in Hebrews 11, I shared this a couple weeks ago in time. In Hebrews chapter 11, you have some phenomenal stories of these men we, – we would in the, in the church would call this – Um, the hall of faith. So you have Moses, you have David, you have Samson, you have Gideon. All these great men, all these great things are happening. Things are awesome for all these. They conquered kingdoms, they they beat armies, they took angels to flight. Things are legit for these dudes. And then, in the middle of this, or towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says. So women received back their dead from the resurrection, talking about all these things, all these good things. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So they might rise again to a better life, ever suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens, caves, and of the earth. And hear this in verse 39. And all these things, though commended through their faith, hear this last part, did not receive what was promised. What do we do? With this man, he's born for one purpose. His one purpose is is to pave the way for the Messiah. He's born before him. He's his cousin. He paves the way for the Messiah. He does everything right. He he never loves a woman. He doesn't have the, the comfort of friendship. He doesn't have children. He doesn't have a house. He lives in a desert, and he eats bugs. And he does what he was supposed to do. He did everything right. There's no, like, he's literally the greatest man born among women. And you, me, there ain't nobody better than John the Baptist. He does everything right, and you know what his reward is? To have his head cut off by the the king of a harlot. That's his reward. Like, what does John do in this moment? All things work together for good? To the future glory that is to be revealed to us, to wrestle with that, and to understand what that is. Um, now, for us to break out of this, here, here's what I want to say. Because when we hear for good, our American mentality is everything that is comfort, everything that is plush, um, everything that is nice, if it provides us. And I've been, hear me, I've been part of Maybe some of you don't know what this is, but the prosperity gospel that teaches you God wants you to prosper, God wants you to bless, and you have this. Maybe you've seen pastors of L.A. Like, no, I'm supposed to drive a Rolls Royce. I, I've sat in the Philippines. I think I've told you guys this story. I've sat in the Philippines, literally, where um, they have no roof over, but they have these nice chairs, these sick chairs. And I go to the house and say, why don't you guys have a roof, Lord? Well, no, well, there's a guy who came in a couple months before that. And he said, you're children of God. You, need, you don't be sitting on benches. You sit on nice chairs. You sit on thrones because you're, you're heirs to the king. No, that's stupid. Get a roof, okay? <laughs> so, so for you to prosper isn't the way that you deem prospering. I, I've been there, man. I've seen. I've been in the villages in Ghana where i have watching these little kids watch Treflo Dollar Sit here and say, no, you got to draw a Rolls Royce, Royce, you got to drive a Ferrari, you got to have a mansion, all these things. And all they want is food. Prospering to you is not what is prospering to God. And so for him to say, all these things are working out, there's something deeper, there's something more going on. We have to understand this. So, so what I want to do is I want to read something from a man in the 16th century. He's a monk. Um, he's 80 years old. He's not in the 21st century, and he's not in the, in the West. So he's in an eastern country, he's this monk, and he talks about suffering. So it's a book called Practice the Presence by Brother Lawrence. I think I pulled his this book. Every time I talk about this book, I want to tell people, literally in this book, at one point in the book, he says, I've had such delicious thoughts upon the Lord that I'm too ashamed to say what they are. But, like, you had, you, first of all, he describes God as having delicious thoughts towards him. <sighs> I do not tell my wife that. And then, and then, he says, like, I'm too ashamed to say what they are. And I'm like, what are they? You're too ashamed to say what they are, okay? So in this in this book, he, he makes a, a, um, a two really awesome statements. And, and this is what he says. Um, God knows best what is needed for us, and all things that he does is for us. It is for good. If we knew how much he loves us, we should always be ready to receive equally and with indifference, hear this, from his hand, the sweet... And the bitter, all the pleas that come from him, the sorest affliction, never appear intolerable, except when we see them in the wrong light. So, so Christians, if you are a child of God, what he's literally putting in front of us is, if we go through a trial, if we go through affliction, we see, this is terrible. Why is this happening to We're seeing it in the wrong light. We're not viewing it the way that God would view it We're not seeing it the way that it is meant to be seen And then then he says this, which is really great He goes on to say this Happy are those who suffer with them The men of the world do not comprehend these truths They suffer like they are Not Christians They consider sickness as a pain to nature and, And not as a favor from God And seeing it only in that light They find nothing in it but grief and distress But those You and me who consider sickness as coming from the hand of God, as the effect of His mercy and the means in which He employs for them salvation, commonly find it great sweetness and sensible consolation. Whatever remedies you try, they will not, they will not succeed. They will not succeed as far as you as He permits. So literally, what He's going to say: is, This comes from God, and you could try to fix this all you want. Like there's this hole, like that's in you, like like you want to fix it. You want you, you want Grab it, you want to you manipulate it, you, if I get this, if I can do this, if I can do this, and you want to do all these things right, but they're only going to work as, as far as God commits. So all these traps, all these a, 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 afflictions, I like think, it, it's, it's just not, not going to work. And then he says, just an awesome statement, and he's a monk, so he can say this. When pains come from God, he only can cure them. He often sends disease of the body to cure disease of the soul. So for us as Christians to take a step back, take a. to see that I don't understand what what coverings over houses, um, how am I defining good, what am I looking at for us to see suffering, because suffering, it's real. Like like that man I described as as, uh, um, (coughs) someone who's molested, you you might be in this room right now. Like like the parent dying, that's a reality for some of you, in the last month. It's real. And and even those sufferings that we would deem a trite, like some of you lost a boyfriend, you care deeply they, uh, they said, a friend like totally betrayed you there's this weight that is real it's real but as a christian we have to begin to immediately push the stretch God, what are you doing for the good what are you doing for me now god doesn't leave us in alert to this because he gives us what good is so i've been defining everything through the negative what good is not what good is not what good is not he literally tells us what good is in verse 29 this is what he says i think it's beautiful i think it works I think it's awesome this is what he says in verse 29. Um, that's Hebrews, so that's not to work. Um, <laughs> so. um, Hebrews chapter 8. Um, I'll read that 28 again. And, this. and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I hear this. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, So we are called according to a certain purpose. Defining what this good is. We love him. We're called to this purpose. What this good is. This is what he says. For those who he foreknew, he also
1: predestined, good time,
0: we'll talk about that later, here's the answer, to be conformed to the image of his son. So so let me say this, what is good? What is good? How are things working together if you are a believer of Jesus Christ in this room? How are things working together for you in this room? What is good? Everything that is good that happens to you is for an ultimate purpose, and good is defined through the lens of conforming people. So um, maybe you've heard this before, but it was really bizarre when I learned about this. Um, The way that they used to make gold and silver is just this crazy process, right? So they would take this gold. um, I've learned from Minecraft, gold comes in these square blocks. um, So you have these square blocks, and you put it in, okay, and then you melt it down. And then these impurities rise to the top, and they skim all the impurities off, and then they begin the process again. put it in there, you melt it down, they skim all the impurities off, you put it down, let it solidify the end goal for their process. They continue to do it. Look into the goal. No, not ready. Imperious. No, not ready. Imperious. And they do this over and over and over again until eventually they can see their own reflection in the goal. So the gold goes through fire, trials, over and over and over again until it reflects the one that's made for And so for us to stand back and say, God, and, and put me through the like trials over and over and over again until I reflect you well, that's the Christian good, yeah. Now that's not romantic, is it? That definitely ain't sexy. That definitely isn't something for us to look at that. I want some of that. No. We're not thinking that because that doesn't come naturally to us. We all know because naturally we see the army of, of people around us. Naturally, we define good what is our head is not getting wet. That's naturally how we define it. But that's not how God is defining good. He's defining good what is bringing you to the purpose for his glory, to the image-bearer, to be an image-bearer of his son Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's beautiful about the whole thing we can wrap this beast up. Being called to his purpose and seeing all these things play out, um, it's comforting to know that what is happening to you is not happening from the distance of a deistic God saying, hey, you, go. That's not what's happening. In this moment, we follow a God. This is so crazy. This is not any other religion, and it would be heresy in most. We follow a God who has suffered. Let me read something for you. Uh, This this is what it says in um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and and, and I think it's it's a good thing. Um, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Did you just hear what that said? When you suffer unjustly, it's a gracious thing. Maybe you may get that. Um, (laughs) For what credit is it, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, uh, suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21 for to this, you have been called suffering, um, to this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But his wounds, you have been, by you've been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So as he oversees your soul, he's literally, <laughs> listen to what he says literally, follow in my step, son. Follow me. Be with me, Eve. Man walked at an ungodly age. She's walking at like two months, okay. And so Eve, my youngest daughter, you don't know who that is, not even Adam, that would be weird, okay. Um, okay. So, so, so Eve, my youngest daughter, she just had her, her one year birthday. We said it last night. So um, Eve, as she's learning to walk, she walked at like nine months, okay. Um, and as she's starting to walk, I'm saying, Come on, baby. Come on, son. Come on. Come on. Come on. And when she falls over, you, I'm not. You moron. What are you not understanding in this moment? Like I said, walk. Okay. No, she's stumbling, she's following, and what she's doing is she's following her dad. Come on, baby, follow, come here, come here. And I'm trying to get her to walk. This is Jesus, man. Like, I've been through it. I know what it's like to have my friend betray me. I know what it's like in that moment to want it not to happen. He's sitting there. No one has felt this way. He's sitting there. He's bleeding so bad that this cup would pass that he would not go through the way that he's seen it, that was predestined before the foundations of the earth. So literally, he's coming into the world knowing he's going to have to die. Before the foundation, framework. Like, okay, so so this is taking place, right? <laughs> he he begins to, to sweat blood. So he's stressing about this so much that I don't want, the weight of this is so heavy, and for the first time ever, you, I, you will never experience this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never experience this because he has. He is in this moment. God, why have you forsaken me? There's this cosmic abandonment to feel what it is to not be with his father for the first and only time in all of history so we don't have to. This is real. That's the God we follow. And for him, even in that moment, God, I, I, I want this cup to pass, but I want your will to be done. That's the one we. Felt. That's the statement we're trying to make. That's what we're trying to get to. That we would be image bearers of Jesus Christ, and everything that comes with that would be true of us. Because that, that is what good is. It's yeah. so One verse that we would stop seeing it through the lens of. This is what good is. This is how I define it. It's plush. It, it is. Yada yada yada. That we would see it through the lens of. Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you call me to. Um, I'll be gracious. Let um, me pray for us. And, uh, you are. We are grateful for everything that you've done. Um, We know that in the midst of our suffering, it's not easy to proclaim that. realize that there are certain things in this life that we just won't understand and we need to be okay with it and at the same time we trust a faithful creator who we trust our souls to. May we follow in your footsteps well. May we know you well. I pray Holy Spirit speak to us. May your word come alive. May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened when we read it. We love you. We praise you.